It's been a few years since we've been privileged to have Rob Welch speak to us. But here he is today. As a reminder, back in 2004, Rob was ordained as an evangelist and served three years in residence uh, as an evangelist in residence at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. And then a few years after that, he started For His Glory Ministries, which is still going strong to this day. Amen. He's had the privilege of sharing with over 4 million people the gospel of Jesus. Let's continue to pray for those 4 million people. God used Rob to lead hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord, trained hundreds of thousands to make disciples who make disciples, which is key when we talk about evangelism, right? And we're privileged today to hear from Rob. Please give it up for Brother Rob. Not sure how long I'll stay up here. Can everybody hear me okay? Good deal. Let me start with prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you needing a word. We are a hurting, broken people. We live in a divided nation. And Lord, we need you to move. You are our only hope. And we need you to speak to us today. We don't need to hear from a man. We need to hear from the living God. So Holy Spirit, be pleased to speak through me. Use me to glorify Christ. And Lord, we pray for your kingdom to advance here on the earth. Speak to us, Lord. Open our hearts. Open our minds to hear from you. Thank you that you are still at work in the world. Advancing your gospel to all peoples. Use us to that end. For your glory and your kingdom's sake, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to get to the passage in a moment, but first I just want to share a little with you what we're seeing God do around the world. Our ministry is primarily in Africa and really all our large-scale ministries in Africa. We've ministered in other countries outside of Africa as well, but almost all of, of what we've seen as far as the harvest has been in Africa. And we are seeing God do amazing things. Uh, we're seeing uh, the Spirit being poured out. We're seeing God working miracles. We're often seeing most of the people responding to the gospel. And we're seeing God launch movements, disciple-making movements that will reach nations for Christ. And the ministry God's called me to is, is a Book of Acts kind of ministry. And when I was asked to speak today, I, I kind of wrestled through that. Uh, because I'm not a pastor, and, and my calling is different than, than that of, of somebody who serves as a pastor, as a teacher, and, and, and I, was, I was wrestling through it, and I mentioned it to my wife, and she said, Rob, you should do it, because your whole ministry is about this. 
and I, I don't even think about it, I think, sometimes because my focus is seeing God pour out his spirit and, and see the kingdom advance. And, and so a lot of our ministry is really seeing the body of Christ come together, see different churches uh, come together. And so what I've been asked to speak on really relates to what God has called us to. And, and it's critical. If we're going to see God move, there has to be unity uh, because the enemy does whatever he can to divide us. And I'm going to look at a passage. Some of you know it very well. And this passage really reflects our ministry as a whole because first you see a Pentecost and you, then you see the, the building of the church, the early church. So the title of my message and I don't normally give titles, but I was asked to give one. <laughs> I don't normally provide notes, so there's not much notes, but I was asked to give three bullet points, and I hope I actually cover what's on the bullet points. Uh, I can't even preach from an outline, folks. I'm, I'm pretty uh, simple. If God doesn't have something to say through me, I have nothing to say to anyone that's of any value. So... My role is generally just to be the mouthpiece and don't get in the way. And if I get in the way, it's a train wreck. But if I stay out of the Lord's way, it's awesome what he does. So I hope he speaks powerfully today. But the power of unity to change the world. And we have to realize we do have an enemy that is going to do whatever he can to divide us. That is from Satan. That is his mission to steal and kill and destroy. And he wants to divide the body of Christ. So we're going to look at how the church was birthed here and what happens right after Pentecost. Peter had just preached. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. Jesus had said, quick review here, the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus had said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And then as he's leaving, he says, when they're asking, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. And then Jesus is taken up from their sight. And the believers are meeting together. They're 120. They're praying. They're united. And they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. So 10 days after Jesus ascends, the day of Pentecost, all these people are gathered into Jerusalem for the feast and the Holy Spirit's poured out. And some people are thinking that all these people speaking these other languages are drunk, but it's only nine in the morning and Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel. And the number of people that believe are 3,000. God moved in great power as he preached the word of God. God used Peter and drew people to himself. And we're going to pick it up right after Pentecost. And here we see the early church and how they're operating. We're going to look at this because I think it's prescriptive for how we're to see God move today. If you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see God move in your church, if you want to see God use you to reach the world, go here. See what this New Testament church did. Here it says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. See, the believers were devoted. We see the four different things that are listed. Now the Holy Spirit directed Luke to write this. So it's important that we look at what these kingdom-minded, these missional believers that are used by God to transform the Roman Empire, what they are devoting themselves to. First, we see very clearly that they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, later in the book of Acts, we, we find there's a division in the church where you see in Acts 6 where some of the widows aren't having their needs met, and there's a complaint because the Greek-speaking widows are not being cared for, whereas the Hebrew-speaking widows are, and apostles gather the whole church together because there is a division, because needs aren't being met. And, and the apostles said what they were going to devote themselves to. Many of you know that. Prayer in the ministry of the word. So here we see that the believers are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. And the apostles, filled with the Spirit, are teaching these believers the Word of God. That's what Jesus did after he rose from the dead. He's opening the Scriptures to them. You see that in Luke's Gospel when he's walking with the, the, the unnamed believers going to Emmaus... He's opening the scriptures to them. And so now these believers, these new believers, are devoting themselves to the word of God. Where you see God moving in great power, you see believers devoting themselves to the word of God. And where you see the church in trouble, you see a forsaking of the word of God. You see, there's a seriousness where you see God moving. There there are movements going on around the world right now. Disciple-making movements are happening in Africa. They're happening in the Middle East. They're happening in Asia. They're happening in India. They're happening in China. They're happening in every continent but Antarctica. Apparently, the penguins won't be converted. (laughs) But everywhere else but those stubborn penguins, there are movements going on. God is moving, and where he is moving, there is a fervor and a faithfulness to the word of God. See, the devil doesn't want us to commit ourselves fully to the word. And so he tries to get us to dilute the word. He tries to get us to hold back on speaking the truth. And there's a pressure. Leaders, pastors, ministers, there's a pressure from the culture to shrink back and not speak the whole counsel of God because you're going to offend people. Look at our culture. It's a cancel culture. There's there's this mission to silence the word of God. That's the devil. He's behind this because there's power in the word of God. So these believers are devoted to the word. Where we see God moving great power, there's such a commitment to the word. I remember I was with some believers in in Morogoro, Tanzania. This was going back a a few years in, in 2017. And it was a year and a half after we had had a festival there. And these were believers that were, were involved in a, a disciple-making movement. And I'm listening to these 23 believers, two different groups, and they're sharing their hearts. And they were life and death committed to the Word of God. 
life and death committed. They're fully committed to the word. They're fully committed to getting the gospel out there. I've seen that in North Indiana, a state where there are over 100 million people. A few tenths of 1% believe. It's called Bihar. It's just south of Nepal. But in this, in this huge state, population-wise, third of the population of the U.S., less than 1% are believers. But the believers there are all in for Christ. They're preaching the gospel. They're going to unreached villages. They're fully devoted to the word and to getting the gospel out there. These new believers are devoted to the word. They're also devoted to the fellowship. There's a, there's a unity there. There's a love that they have for one another. They're together. You see that where God is moving in great power, there's, there's a oneness there's a genuine love and a concern, which we'll see. We're going to fly over this later in this passage, but it shows how they live that out. But there's this, this, this love of being together. I found that when I was growing in Christ and, and uh, before the Lord called me uh, to the ministry, I, I got involved in a church where there was just this sweet fellowship and this, this great community that I was a part of. I just loved it, loved getting together with my brothers and my sisters. It was just wonderful. And where you see God moving, there's this this sweetness, this this fellowship, this desire to be together. And then you also see they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. You see that as the Lord's Supper. You also see that as they're sharing meals together. You're seeing the community. They're together. They're together. See, this is so powerful because it looks so different than the world. Think about it. If God were to move here in his church and bring an awakening like we've never seen, which I pray that he does, there's going to be something that's going to look so different about the body of Christ than it looks with the rest of the world. There's this love there's this togetherness. There's this, this focusing on the Lord. And when they take the Lord's Supper, they're doing it in remembrance of Christ. So they're, and that way they're proclaiming the gospel and then they devote themselves to prayer. You know, there's a, a pastor from Nigeria who I believe is going to lead our second ministry team in Africa. He's here uh, with his wife in the St. Louis area. Uh, God just brought him here, uh, I believe, for this. And he was talking about in Nigeria, believers meet on Friday nights a couple times a month. Every other Friday they'll meet and they'll pray all night from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. I don't know about that happening here in America. I know there's some prayer ministries that do that, but think about it. Think if our churches were really serious about prayer and if we really believe God to answer prayer. I know we say we do. It would not be orthodox if we said we didn't believe in prayer. We say we believe in prayer, but is that our practice? Is that what our lives look like? These New Testament Christians are devoted to prayer. And as I referenced uh, Acts 6 earlier, with the apostles, they said what they would devote themselves to. They said they devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
So the apostles, those who were with Jesus, said they were devoting themselves to two things. One is prayer. The first they mentioned is prayer. Then the ministry of the word. If we're going to see the power of God, we've got to go to God. He's the source. We have absolutely nothing to add to the one who made everything and holds everything with his word. So, so if we want to see God move in power and where you see God moving in power, there's a fervor for prayer and, and praying in faith. There's opposition in the early church. There's opposition in the church today. Jesus had just been crucified weeks before. So there certainly was opposition seeking to destroy the body of Christ, and yet we see the kingdom advance greatly because they're devoted to prayer, and God answers prayer. They're praying in faith, too. They're not halfway. Lord, if it's your will, I tell people, if it's not God's will, he won't do it. So you can stop putting the tagline, Lord, if it's your will, do this. God will not violate his will. God is sovereign. You don't have to worry. Pray kingdom prayers. Don't be seeking selfish things. That's not praying for the kingdom. But if you're praying something that, that's clearly in the scripture is on the heart of God, pray in faith. Pray believing you've received it. That's what's going on in this early church. And God's answering the prayers. See, there, there's so much in that. But the believers were devoted to those things. They were fully committed to those things. The believers still around the world, if you were to see the different church planning movements, disciple-making movements around the world, they're going to have the same things going on in them today because God has not changed. So where you're seeing God move in great power, you see the same commitment. You see the same commitment, and it brings the body of Christ together. I'm going to pick up speed a little bit here. Let's see what happens. Let's see how this looks now. This is describing what's going on. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. See, there was an awe. There was this, this awesome presence of God. They were seeing the Lord move in great power and great glory, and they were overwhelmed, and it led them to worship. But they're, they're anticipating God to move here. And God was. Wonders and signs. This is the norm. It was not an occasional, well, I remember 25 years ago God did this. No, it was a continual presence. Later we'd see in Acts where Peter's walking and his shadow falls on people and they're being healed. And Paul has handkerchiefs that are put to his head or put to him his body and, and they're taken out and people are, are healed and demons are cast out. The power of God was manifesting in this community. So people that came in would see this. Do they see that today in our lives? Do they see that today in our small groups? Do they see that today in our churches? Are people who are, who are outside of the faith and looking at believers, are they looking and are they seeing this amazing thing that's happening as God's Spirit is moving among His people? Because that's what's going on here. 
And that's what's going on places where I'm going. We're seeing God move so powerfully. And these are through everyday believers, as you call them. These aren't the pastors or the leaders in the church. These are people that are just born of the Spirit and believe God. And they're praying over people and people are being healed. People are being saved. Lives are being transformed. You know, all sorts of awesome things are happening because God is with them. And they're believing God to use them. That's going on here. And there are all these miracles happening through the apostles. God's confirming his word. God wants that in his church today. He hasn't changed. I think sometimes in our minds... We expect so much less of God. And I'm being kind saying sometimes. I'm being very kind and maybe just dishonest. I don't want to be dishonest. We expect so much less of God than what he wants to do through us. You know, it says in Hebrews 13.8 that Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. All of us who belong to Christ, I'm talking to believers here. If you are in Christ, the spirit of the living God lives inside of you. And he's able to do anything. So the limit is never on God's side. But we doubt. We don't believe. And then we don't see those things happening and we say, well, God must not be doing that today. And maybe we don't even say that out loud, but maybe that's in our hearts. Or, oh yeah, God can do that through that crazy guy, Rob. He's, he's goofy, but he can't use me that way. Well, I know what God's working with and I, if he can work through me, he can work through anyone. I'm certain of that. I'm absolutely certain of that. The question is, do we believe him? I want more of that in my life. I hope you do too. They believed and God's presence was with them. He was healing. He was delivering. People are being set free from demons. All sorts of awesome things are happening. And we see it today. You know, we have a woman who was deaf and mute testify to 70,000 people that Jesus had healed her and her friends cheering because they knew she was deaf and they knew she was mute. They know who she is. That's the power of God. He hasn't changed. We need to have that kind of expectation. The people that expect the most from God in faith see the most. From God, I want to expect more from God. And I don't want unbelief in my heart or mind to get in the way. All who believed were together. There you go, there's unity. And had all things in common. Wow. How would that look here in America today? If those who aren't believers those who are secular folks would say, wow, 
Those Christians are together. And they have all things in common. Wow, what a witness that would be. And what a witness it is. What a witness it is when we are together. You've heard a lot about that already, I hope. And I believe you have. Had all things in common. And it continues. It doesn't stop there. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wait a minute, the government's not doing that? (laughs) There's a lot of that going on right now. Not a good thing. You see, in our country, often the government has taken the role that was to be the church's job. We've abdicated. We've abdicated. God's called us to take care of one another. They were doing it voluntarily. Nobody was telling them, you have to do this. But love compelled them to meet needs. Love compelled them to reach out. And they weren't holding on to their stuff anymore because they knew it was God's. So they're selling, selling their possessions and belongings, giving them to everyone who has need. What if we did that today? Those that do have such power because their lives testify. Testify that they are sons and daughters of the kingdom. And this world doesn't have sway over their souls anymore because they've been set free. These are people set free here. And there's such unity and power in that. Look at the love. They're showing they're meeting needs. These are the things believers are devoting themselves to in this first century church right after Pentecost. It continues. Look at the worship here and fellowship. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Think about the joy there. The joy in worship, the joy in fellowship, the joy of being together, the the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. That's what's going on here. It's awesome. And they're filled with joy and generosity. That's how you know God is working in hearts. You see people being set free. You see him being set free of, of material things. One of the passages the Lord brought me to when he was calling me to surrender was in Matthew 6, where Jesus is saying, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I jumped there, but... Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. You can't serve two masters. See, that's so powerful. It's so unifying when we're set free. 
Jesus came to set us free in every sense of the word. He, he came to give us life in every sense of the word. And this life is in him by his spirit. And there's such a unity we have in that. It's so powerful what you see happening here in the early church and what you see where God is moving in great power. You see the same things going on today. It's awesome to see. It's so liberating. It just fills me with joy when I see God moving in that way. They continue here, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Continually praising God. God loves it when we worship him with a willing heart. He doesn't want us to begrudgingly come like Cain and offer a sacrifice that's not acceptable. He wants us to wholeheartedly embrace him and worship him. And you see that going on and the people are having favor, favor with all the people. It's a power of unity. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. That's the fruit. That's the fruit. You may wonder how essential is unity. How essential is unity in fulfilling the Great Commission? How essential is unity in advancing the kingdom of God. It's central because if we're divided, as Jesus said, any kingdom or house divided against itself cannot stand. See, the devil attacks our unity because if he can get us fighting over non-essential things, then we're not focused on advancing the kingdom. If we're arguing about secondary points where we don't agree with one another on, and we're focused on those things instead of focusing on the king and his kingdom and those that need the gospel, then we're, we're spending all of our energy wrestling and fighting instead of advancing the kingdom of God. We don't have time. We don't have time to argue. We don't have time to debate and say, my point is right and you're wrong and here are the 85 reasons why I'm right and you're wrong. God doesn't want that for us. The devil does. Jesus wants us to be united in him. I work with churches that have different theological views than I do. I can assure you of that. But our ministry... God's called us to see the church come together. So you have different churches. You have Anglicans and you have Assemblies of God. They've got some different theology, those churches. You got Lutherans, you got Methodists, you got independent Pentecostals, you've got brethren that, that are still out there. You got Moravians, which believe it or not, there are a lot of them in Africa. You got all these different denominations and churches, and, and they have different views on lots of different things. But they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and the only way to the Father. And they come together in Jesus' name. God wants us to come together. There's great, great power in unity. If we're to come together as the, the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, the devil cannot stand against us. So Satan does whatever he can to stir us up 
to divide. He hits our nerves. He hits our sacred cows. He, he goes after us so that if he can have us divided, then we're not living a life on mission. And you know, it's amazing how you look at the apostles before the resurrection and before the Holy Spirit was poured out, they were arguing about who's the greatest repeatedly. Jesus is saying he's going to the cross. James and John's mom, hey, Jesus, you know, uh, let my sons sit on your right and left hand when you come in your kingdom. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. James and John want to be first. They're arguing. They're fighting. Who's the greatest? Jesus is telling he's going to the cross. They're arguing about who's the greatest. What were you talking about on the road? Everybody says nothing. Jesus knew what they were saying. What were you talking about? Oh, kept quiet there. Oh, Jesus, we all want to be the greatest, but we won't tell you. You know, where you see God moving and the greatest power, there's the greatest humility. Jesus, before he went to the cross, washed his disciples' feet. That's what the slave did. But the son of the living God, as if it wasn't enough for him to be beaten, mocked, stripped naked, hung up on a tree, between two murderers as if that wasn't enough and then taking all the wrath of God for all my wickedness and yours, all the sins of the world, as if that wasn't enough, that humiliation, Jesus before that washed his disciples' feet. See, if we want true unity, there has to be humility. Because our pride always wants to rise up and say, me first. But Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to be slave of all. That's what Jesus did. The creator completely emptied for his own creation. Completely bearing the wrath of God for all our rebellion. Taking it all. Oh, but we have to be united. And to be united, we have to be humble. But if we're united, That gives the Holy Spirit room to move in our lives in ways we can't even imagine. Ways we can't even begin to fathom. There's such power in unity and sharing a common vision.
you know, you see it in a bad way in the Tower of Babel. That's why the Lord had to scatter everyone and confuse their languages. Because they were united. But it was to make a name for themselves. The Lord wants us to be united to exalt the name of Jesus and to reach our world for Christ. The, the time is now. We're late in the day. Jesus, when he saw people, he saw their condition, he saw their need. He saw they're harassed. They're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved with compassion in the same way we need to be moved with compassion Our lives are so short. They're mist or vapor. Then eternity. Today is the day of salvation. Where the church is united. Where the people of God are together, the devil cannot stand. But where we're divided. We're, we're divided. You see a powerless church. I want to see the fullness of the kingdom. Uh, oh, seven years ago now, I was fasting and praying. I was an absolute mess. I was so drained emotionally, spiritually, I was empty. I had known for years that I needed to fast 40 days, and if I did, God would do something amazing. I needed to consecrate myself to the work, but for eight years I had been in rebellion because that seemed like a long time to me. But finally I reached the end of myself, so I started 2014 fasting and seeking God like I never had before. And at one point, after God had set me free and done a work in my marriage and in my family, I felt the question come into my mind. First, it was a hundred million, then it was a billion, a billion souls. Could I believe God that he could use me by the power of his spirit to see a billion people enter into the kingdom? And I asked the question, is anything impossible with God? And I knew the answer. No, nothing's impossible with God's. The question isn't whether or not God can do it. The question is whether or not I believe him. And he gave me faith to believe. If we believe God and we truly come together, we're united in Christ. 
And God can use us to change the world. And that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want us to have divided lives. He wants us fully surrendered, completely believing him. Jesus said we do greater works. I'm going to believe Jesus. And I'm going to seek unity because that is the key that unlocks everything for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and lives as a people and as a community. God wants to do that. He wants to breathe life in his church. He wants to breathe life in his people. He wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh as he did at Pentecost, as he's doing around the world. He wants to do that here. He wants to do that in America. He wants to do that here in St. Charles County, in St. Louis, in Missouri, in the Midwest, the U.S., and around the world. God is awakening people. He's calling them to himself, and he's called us to come together in Jesus' name. Jesus is the head. He's given us the Great Commission as our mission, and we're to advance the kingdom united until he comes or till we see him face to face and we see the fullness of the kingdom. That's what God has on his heart. That's what he wants us to have on our hearts so we can see what you see happening in the book of Acts. And you don't have to, to give some excuse as to why you're not seeing God work like that in your life. I don't want to be giving God any excuses. I want to give him all of me. I want him to be fully free in this surrendered vessel that he can use me and that he can use you. Desire for more from God. He desires to do more through you. He desires to do more in you. Desire more from him. Seek that for him. Seek that. I want to pray now. I ask the Holy Spirit to do what we can't. Father, you alone are God. Beside you there is no other. You are united. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God Eternal, immortal, invisible. And you've called us to be one, Lord Jesus. That the world might know that the Father has sent his Son. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that we would be one in Christ, set us free from our pride. Set us free from hurts in our hearts and our souls. Set us free from lies we believed in our minds. Your word tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. 
I pray for freedom in Christ here at Liberty Christian Church. I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I pray for unity in the body of Christ. And I pray, Father, that you'd raise up an army and that you'd send them on mission. Send them on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, show them your glory. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives and here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, send us as you sent the apostles, as you sent the early believers. Send us, Lord, to the nations and send us to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to people here, there, everywhere where the gospel is needed. And send us in the power of your Holy Spirit, united in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you speak to hearts right now. Lord, set us free. Set us free from every lie we've believed in. Set us free from every pretense. Set us free from all hypocrisy. Set us free from bitterness of spirit. Set us free from division. Bring us before your throne. Father, you desire true worshipers. That's what you said, Jesus. You said in John 4 that the Father is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I pray, Lord, that we would hear the words of Jesus and that our lives would be changed. Lord, we want more of your glory in our lives. We want more of your kingdom to be manifested in our lives. We need a holy boldness to proclaim your gospel and live on mission in a godless culture with godless people, with godless agendas that we would be like Daniel and Hananiah, and Michelle, and Azariah, not bowing down to false gods, but worshiping the living God. Father, deliver us. Deliver us from everything that is holding us back from experiencing the fullness of who you are and the fullness of Christ. Use my brothers. Use my sisters. Raise up world changers in this room and send them out. Send them out to do your will. Send them out to proclaim your gospel. Send them out to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Send them out to be fishers of people, Lord Jesus. We need you, Lord. We thank you that you are not done with us. Pour out your spirit in greater measure in our lives and give us grace to receive from you. Thank you, Lord, for you are faithful and you will do it. In Jesus' name.